to get that. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give thanks, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, and in the seas and all deeps. He, is, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, and brings forth the wind from his storehouse. He it is who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a, he a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Amen. Hopefully, uh, a slide will appear behind me. Excellent. Uh, hello, welcome. Uh, my name is Jacob. If we haven't met, I'm the ministry apprentice here at Grave. It's wonderful uh, to join in with me. Great to be able to join with you this morning. Why don't I pray just before I begin? Uh, Father God, we give thanks as we gather here this morning in worship and praise to you, Lord as we think about praising your name, O Lord, and how it endures, Father. and pray that we'd be able to remember your power and your promises that you keep and how your word endures forever. So, Father, be with me now as we open up Psalm 135 in your son's precious name. Amen. Um, so, as part of research for this, I decided to read some comics. Um, and one of my favorite comics, you might have seen them, is Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, Calvin is a young rascalian of a boy, and Hobbes is his tiger that he goes on many adventures with. Um, and while I was finding it, I found this one. Um, Calvin screaming out into the void, I'm significant, says the speck of dust. And when I think about the world and I think about the universe, I think, about, I think a bit like Calvin in this cartoon strip. I'm surrounded by a universe which is thought to be 93 billion light years wide and a light that travels at the speed of 
792, 458 million meters per second. I, I couldn't remember that, so I had to write that down. Um, that's about 300 million meters per second. That's a bit easier to remember. So you can try and do the math of trying to figure out the size of the universe. And some people think it's infinitely big, so it isn't even possible to do that. And in any case, as Calvin puts it, I am a dust speck. But every day, we do what Calvin does. And he does it the best. He screams. He screams out into the world and to God, I am significant. You can take the slide away now, so people aren't distracted. Um, Perhaps it's just the fact is the universe is so big that we rebel against its immensity by proclaiming that we are significant, we are important. We rebel, we want ourselves to be right in the middle. Even sometimes when we're forced to face the majesty of God's creation, sometimes even God himself, we demand that God pays attention to us, to our needs, to our concerns, to who we are. We scream out to God, I am significant. But today's psalm that was read to us earlier takes a very different approach. This psalm is all about God. It's all about Yahweh. And if you didn't know that in your Bible, the word Lord, if it's written in all caps, that usually means it's translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the personal name for God used by his people. And in the first three verses, the name Yahweh, or maybe as it was read, uh, Lord, is used six times. And at the end of the psalm, in verses 19 to 21, it's used another six times. The psalm ends as it begins, with the command, praise the Lord. It's sung by a man who's lost himself in God, in the great majesty of God, who has found joy and significance in praising God. This psalm has nothing to do about him, his concerns, his troubles, or his worries. It's all about Yahweh, who he is, and why the psalmist is praising him. And it's not that he's so humble that he, has to pr- that he praises God. Humility has nothing to do with it. One cannot be humble in the presence of God. One cannot be humble, but be humble in the presence of God. It's just that he sees God as he is. And he's moved to praise and worship God. Because that's really the only proper response of a man who sees God as he is. And as, as you read the psalm, you might notice it kind of focuses in on the middle, like a concentric circle from the outside in. Verses one and three and 19 and 21 are parallel. So the beginning and the end both contain the command, praise the Lord, praise Yahweh. And now if we move into verses five and seven, in verse five, the psalmist sings, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. And he starts to tell us why in verses six and seven. In six, he says that the Lord is great because he does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, and the sea and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the winds from his storehouses. The psalmist praises God for his power over the creation, which idols do not have. In fact, verse 6 is a direct quotation from Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 13, a chapter that compares the Lord to idols. If you have a Bible when you know where Jeremiah is, uh, but why don't we turn to it for a moment? Jeremiah chapter 10, and I'll read from verse 11 to verse 13. So Jeremiah 10, 11. Tell them this, these gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from the, under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the water and heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. 
He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. The Lord is unlike any other God. He made the earth by his power. Last great thing I probably made was a spaghetti carbonara. And great would be a bit of an exaggeration. That's not supposed to be a pun, but I just realized it could be. Exaggeration. Because carbonara is really just eggs. With a lot of cheese thrown in it to be more than, well, I say healthy. It's pushing it. And some bacon just to hasten death even faster. Um, God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom, stretched out the heavens by his understandings. By his thoughts, he stretched out the sky, the earth, the heaven, and the sea. They all stand under direct authority of God because he made them. And the psalmist sings because he sees the Lord. He sees Yahweh, who made everything impossibly beautiful, complex and such complex and immense things, and has everything at his disposal. He does whatever he pleases. Waters rise and fall because of him. Lightning flashes, and the wind that makes waves crash 25 meters high are because of him. He does whatever he pleases on all of earth because the creation testifies to the great might of God. And the psalmist who sees God as he is, how could he stay silent? In my first year of university, as well as taking some core classes, I had to take some extra subjects from kind of out with my department. I think the intention was to try and make us a little bit more rounded as individuals. You can tell me whether you think that worked. Um, And for one of the ones I took, since it looked like the least work and didn't have an exam, was astronomy. And one of my assignments for this class was to spend an evening stargazing. We were to take a toilet tube roll, look through it, and count the number of stars we could see in that little circle. And so a course mate and I decided that this would be an excellent excuse to head to the beach for a late night barbecue. And so we went one clear autumn evening and sat having a lovely time on Aberdeen Beach, stargazing, in inverted commas. And as we sat staring at the sky, and just like the cartoon that we saw at the beginning, there were so many stars that it just filled me with a sense of awe. Because I felt the majesty of the one who made it when I stared into the night. I saw the millions of stars and planets light up the sky. It was a reminder of how great God was. It was a reminder, and I realized that I wasn't at the center of my universe. God was. And he was the center of such a big and powerful universe that he made. So let's look at verses 6 and 7 again. The Lord does whatever pleases him in heaven and on earth. In the seas and all their depths, he makes clouds rise from the end of the earth. He sends lightning with rain and brings out the wind from the storehouses. Every corner of the earth, every corner of the universe is under God's control. He does whatever he pleases me. And if you ever lose that sense of awe in God, look to the night sky. Stare into the thunderstorm like the thundersnow we had over Christmas. See how the great oceans roar when he sends a strong wind. And think about the God who creates and controls them. And think about who he is and praise him. So this psalm is a chiasm. And if you've never come across that word before, it's a literary, te- literary technique where the most important verse is in the middle. Like I mentioned at the beginning, it's kind of like a concentric circle going to the middle. With the most important verse in the middle and the other um, verses kind of mirroring, being mirrored or parallel to each other as they go in. So verses 5 to 7 mirror verses 5 to 18. And here the psalmist makes a clear point by comparing Yahweh that we saw in verse 5 and 7 to the idols that we see in verse 15 through 18. We're told that God does, um, sorry, (laughs) we're told that God does whatever he pleases um, for him. 
He makes or does whatever pleases him. In verse 7, we're told that Yahweh, the Lord, makes clouds rise and fall. In contrast, the idols of the nations cannot do anything because they're made by the hands of men. We see in verse 15. The Lord has made and the idols are, the Lord makes and the idols were made. And we're also told that these idols are shiny, made of gold and silver, but their shininess is their only great virtue. God who makes is contrasted to the idols people have made. The Lord's words not return until they have accomplished their mission. We read that in Isaiah 55 verse 11. But these idols have mouths, but they cannot even speak. And in contrast to the Lord God who sees everything, even in darkness, for even darkness is not dark to God. But as we read in Psalm 139 later on, the night shines like the day. These idols have eyes, but they cannot see. God knows when we sit and when we rise and perceives our thought from afar. We read that in Psalm 139 as well. But these idols have ears, but cannot even hear. Their words cannot even make one droplet rise. Their eyes cannot see the lightning that flashes the night sky. Their ears cannot hear the roar of the thunder or the buffeting of the wind. The psalmist wrote in verse 7 that the Lord brings out the wind from the storehouses. The wind or breath in Hebrew is ruah. God controls all the ruah. However, in verse 17, we see that these idols don't even have breath in their mouths. They don't have that ruah in, and their mouth, in their mouths. So why praise these idols? We should praise the one true God, Yahweh. It may seem ridiculous and foolish to us, maybe, but I'm sure around us we can see idols being worshipped all the time. Maybe in, in a very literal sense, you have friends that have idols in their homes or go to temples and mountains. And we should warn them because these consequen the consequences of doing that are grave. At the end of time, the Lord of history will judge those, will judge the idols and judge those who worship them. If you look down to verse 18, those who make them would be like them. And so will all who trust in them. They will be made mute. They will be made deaf. But this isn't a warning over just literal, idol, literal idols. I don't mean making an idol. Worshipping happening, worship. Worshipping other things happens here in Dundee as well, doesn't it? People sacrifice a lot for different idols. Maybe career is an example. Maybe people with particularly hectic lives are quite prone to this. We'd make a lot of sacrifices for career. We might sacrifice our health. Our health deteriorates because we don't have time to eat or sleep properly or exercise regularly. Maybe they sacrifice family and neglect their family for their career. Maybe we sacrifice our spiritual life. Maybe we think it's okay to miss church a little bit too much. Or maybe we think, oh, actually, we can relocate without thinking about the impact it will have on our spiritual life, about having a church family that we can move in with. People don't simply worship their career. We make huge sacrifices for the idol of obtain obtaining or maintaining our career. And in doing so, we unknowingly take part in the culture that makes the career people's idols. And maybe career is not an idol, maybe something like family is our idol. If I find the right spouse, all my problems will be solved. If I raise my kids properly, my goals will be accomplished. And in many ways, the media that doesn't really know the true love of Christ has perverted the great love found in family and has made it our ultimate idol. 
And are you so sure that you're not part of making family an idol? Are we not obsessed with finding the right person when God has found us? Don't we think that our life's goal is to raise our kids properly and treat God as kind of a divine nanny needed to raise our kids? Idols are everywhere. Money is another one. Status is another one. But most insidiously, we often put ourselves in the place of God. I trust in myself. I believe in myself. Are all too familiar slogans that you see across our culture. If you believe history depends on you, your history depends on you, that you have the power of that you have the power to create the future. And you might be convinced enough to think that you will change the course of history all by yourself. Or maybe not the entirety of history, but you might be able to just control your own future with your own hard work. Either way, you've put yourself in the position of God. God controls history. God ultimately creates your future. So do not take these sins lightly. These are not trivial. They are serious, for God will not always stay silent as we worship idols. And the idols will not last. And those who worship them will not last, for God says those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them, God, and for all who trust in them, God will come down to judge them, to judge all of history. To not, it doesn't matter what has happened so far. God will end it. And he will end history on his own terms. And the psalmist knows this, for he is worshipping Yahweh the Lord, the one true God. He knows that Yahweh is not an idol, but a God who can act, who can speak and see and hear and give all that we need. He knows that Yahweh is not an impotent idol, but an omnipotent God, who can and will redeem God's people. So devote your life to God, make sacrifices to God, praise God. Now we come to the middle section, which, as I mentioned, is earlier is the most important point. Because it is a chiasm, the most important emphasis is right in the middle. And we see that with the psalmist here. We have seen that Yahweh is the God of creation, contrasted with the helpless idols. But the psalmist sees the character of Yahweh most clearly in God's redeeming act. Verses 8 through 14 bring us back to the Exodus event and the conquest. Exodus is the greatest event in the Old Testament. For before the time, they were being, the Israelites were being forgotten as a people. They'd lived in Egypt for 400 years. They were enslaved. And they themselves were forgetting the promise God had made to Abraham. And through Moses, God fulfilled that promise. Yahweh showed his might amidst the mightiest kingdom of the world. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, men and animals, as verse 8 tells us. He sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants. Verse 9. Yahweh, the Lord, turned the water to blood, sent frogs, sent diseases, sent gnats, and he made the land of the sun go pitch black. A people who were forgetting who they were, a people cold and a nation formed through God's mighty act. He took a nation of slaves and defeated the most powerful kingdom of the day, thus fulfilling God's promise to Abraham as he led the Israelites to enter the land of Canaan. Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, are also specifically mentioned as two people who oppose God. Uh, you read about them in Deuteronomy chapter 2 and 3. The Israelites offered peaceful passage to the territory, and that was rejected in favor of violence and fighting, and fighting the Israelites and Yahweh. And as we know, this is pretty much always a foolish move. And they got what they deserved. God's justice was done. Yahweh defeated them. And the Israelites inherited the land, their land as well. 
This story is the story of God's redemption of Israel. And the psalmist has a lot to rejoice about. He worships because Lord God Yahweh unmistakably freed Israel from the grips of the Egyptian tyranny. This God is the God who fulfills promises for after 400 years when they were oppressed and were forgetting to who they could call out to. God remembered the promise he made to Abraham and made an enslaved people a nation. He struck Egyptians who were mistreating his chosen people through plagues and made the sea swallow Egyptian warriors who went after them. So why wouldn't he praise them, praise this Lord? The Israelites looked to Exodus as the event that showed the world who Yahweh was, who showed the world that who the Lord was. He fulfilled his promise. He vindicated his people and had compassion on all his servants, as we see in verse 14. So the psalmist sings in verse 13, Your name, Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, through all generations. Yahweh has demonstrated that he was mighty in battle, who can defeat all that stood in their way, delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. God, a God who fulfills his promise, and God, a God who redeems his people. Creation, future judgment, and the Exodus event all demonstrate who God is and how awesome he is. And then in light of that, Samus can't help but pour out worship. But I think this verse is the heart of the psalm. For the Lord of God, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Israel has his own possession. This great God has chosen his people, the nation of Israel, to be his treasured possession. Remember the God who's greater than all gods, the God who does whatever that pleases him, the God who led his chosen people out of slavery and captivity and into freedom, crushing all those who stood in his way. The psalmist sings praises to Yahweh the Lord because this sovereign God with all this sovereign power has chosen to be the God of Jacob. He made Israel to be his treasured possession. Deuteronomy 14 verse 2 says the same thing, out of all the people on the earth, on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. The psalmist sings because of, out of all the people on the world, God chose his people to be God's special nation. The God who created the heaven and the earth, God who brings clouds, sends lightning and rain, and calls out the wind, chose Israel to be God's treasured possession. The one true God, God who speaks life to people, the God who sees and hears everything because his God became their God. The God who will come to judge the idols and those who trust in the idols is their God. Why wouldn't the psalmist sing praise the Lord? But we know that the story of Exodus, that there's more, that after that, there's more to the story of the nation of Israel. The psalmist recalls the mighty act of God's redemption of Israel, but that's only a small part of God's redemption for the whole world. God has the entire history in his mind, the entire history of the world. From the defeat of the unrighteous Canaanites and Sihon and Og who opposed God were necessary. Not only because he wanted to show his justice, but because God remembered his promise to Abraham to establish a great nation through him, which we see as a widening through Christ. We would, which we see widening through Christ, who we would, be, who we would call the saviour of all humanity just as God was for his holy people. God's redemption plan doesn't stop with the Exodus. As we see in Psalm 135, 
it was just a foreshadowing of an even greater redemption to come. The moment of God's glory came when Christ was lifted up on that cross, dying for the sins of the whole world. And as Moses lifted up the servant, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John three, fourteen to fifteen. Through Jesus we have become God's treasured possession, chosen by God. Yahweh is our God through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we have been adopted into God's family. In the closing uh, verses of our psalm, in verse 19 and 20, the psalmist says, O house of Israel, praise the Lord. O house of Aaron, praise the Lord. O house of Levi, praise the Lord. You who fear him, praise the Lord. And that's us. Peter wrote to the church, but you are a chosen people, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We get to sing with the psalmist because we have now become part of God's chosen people. Their history is now our history. Their song of deliverance is now our song of deliverance. God, our God has made himself known all over the world through his mighty acts in Exodus. And just as the psalm is saying, we could also sing, the Lord endures forever. You're renowned, Lord, through all generation. For the Lord Yahweh will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. And he did. The vindication of the Lord's name and the excellent event is part of the plan for the vindication of all people, of us. And I wonder what the psalmist would have given to know what we know now that the exodus was just a small part of God's redemption history, that the God of the mighty acts of exodus would humble himself and become a baby to redeem the whole world, that he would live a life of perfection to be presented as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, that he would be mocked, spat upon, crucified, and rise again on the third day for us that he would want to bring us into God's family through this sacrifice. That we would become part of his chosen people. Because of Christ, Peter can write, you are chosen people. You are chosen. People are a royal priesthood, a royal nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. The psalmist and Peter seem to know what life was about. Our lives are about God. The whole thing was about declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And praise isn't something that they were forced to do. They are delighted to praise God. We often live in a world where we are right in the center and we can be miserable for it. But the psalmist lost himself in the wonder of who God is. And so he ends the psalm as he begins with praises, hallelujahs, telling others to praise him. Praise completes the experience of seeing who God is, for it naturally comes when we meet God. We praise God for the same reason that the psalmist praised God. But we can also praise God for so much more. The great truth that not even the psalmist knew was in fact that this awesome God came down to earth for, for us, came as a small child, to make us part of his family, to bring us in into his chosen people. And how could we not lose ourselves in the, in the wonders of such grace love?
Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, I think the band are now going to lead us in another uh, time of worship.